I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Kia ora and welcome to the second season of the Aotearoa Rugby Pod for Rugby Pass and Sky Sport. Ross Carl here, joined by former Blues player, former Blues player, James <laughs> Parsons. And beating out of Christchurch, fresh after working on his biceps so he can fit a fifth title tattoo on his sleeve, is Bryn Hall. How are you doing, Bryn? No, good, mate. Uh, not five, four, but um, no, it's good, mate. It's always good to be back down in Christchurch. And look, mate, I just want to congratulate you on a, on a hell of a career as well. I know that um played, obviously, a few years, few years with you, mate, and um, you've been an absolute stalwart for not only North Harbour Blues, but um, using the rugby in general, mate. So I know you're going to enjoy the, the flat whites and being down at Fongamatar and not even being in Auckland, mate. Cheers, brother. Thank you. <laughs> what is it like as an ex-player? Oh, look, I wasn't expecting it, obviously, so it sort of caught me off guard. So I'm only sort of three weeks into it, and uh, it's a little bit different. Obviously, different pre-season. I was still sort of training uh, leading into the week of uh, retirement. Uh, but after that, I've, I've sort of chilled out and, and really focused on my health and, and trying to get rid of these headaches uh, has been my main focus. So uh, not, not too different at this stage. It's, it's like any injury, just trying to rehab and, and recover, and, and that's all I'm focusing on, on at this stage. And um, I'm sure... It'll become more clear in time, uh, but yeah, I'm really excited for what, what the future holds and look, I, I left it all out there, uh, certainly have no regrets and I'm really excited with uh, what the journey is, is to come. Yeah, I suppose that's the hard thing for rugby players, I suppose you, often players only look as far as the end of their career, but you've looked further, you, I mean you're here. <laughs> You're in the studio, giving the players' perspective on the Aotearoa Rugby Pod. Yeah, well, I was never guaranteed a contract, so I always had to prepare for life after <laughs> rugby because it could have ended uh, pretty quickly. Um, you know, so for me, it was always a, a plan that uh, you know I had to have something ready. And you know, I've, I've been to university, I've always done work experience, and I've always uh, enjoyed my time with the media. So I've worked obviously with Sky and uh, NZME as well. So uh, there's, there's opportunities and, and options, which is great, uh, but. As I said, first things first, um, I'm going to focus on my health and, and, and do some work with uh, you guys and uh, look forward to finishing the year strong and, and looking forward to seeing the Blues do really well. And uh, Bruno obviously has uh, taken that first preseason game off, so he's rested the body well. But talking to a man that's still playing, how's the preseason been? That's no, been really good, mate. I think, um, yeah, Chris got rested that first game and um, gave a lot of our young guys an opportunity to. To play in that, and again we played we played in Tamuka, which um, which is great to get out of the community. And we went out a day earlier and went around all the community, went to the sports bars, and um, then we went to the 
did some skills with some kids and then got to play the game in Tamuka and then you know, we have the Blues out on the weekend with obviously um, which happened on which happened with COVID and unfortunately in Auckland but um, it was great to get a game out there and then I'd like you know drop that first 40 minutes it doesn't matter how many preseason games you play uh, sorry, how many how much preseason work you do um, that first hit out um, the lungs are blowing and uh, you get all the cobwebs out with with that game and especially with us going to um, Forsyth which is going to be a, a running rugby um, affair and um, yeah an exciting time for our group to, to get back into Super Rugby 2021 Maybe guys got all the yellow cards out of the way too huh? <laughs> yeah I think we can't afford to uh, be given that I think what we have two against the Chiefs and then two against the Blues so yeah Razor was pretty hard on that this week and um, I guess it comes with the territory over the first couple of weeks um, the refs like to stamp their marks around the new laws and um, I guess for the trends that they're looking for and yeah look we can't afford to get on the bad side of that I think we're 20, 21, 22 penalties and um, and 80 minutes of play with four red, with four yellow cards so look, we'll look to address that and um, yeah just take the learnings that, that the refs did had pinged on us the last, uh, the last two weeks I noticed the ref boss was sitting with the coaching group of the Crusaders um, while I was watching on Sky Bryce Lawrence so looks like quite a close relationship you've got going there so you probably have to dial in and uh, look for some advice there Oh, it didn't even didn't work, mate. We had him there and it didn't even work. Oh, I'm just going to get some penalties. conspiracy so. theories going already. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy it. Now the fact that you're retired now, mate, you can just have a bit more, more than ever just having to go with us. So, and you know, <laughs> start general, stirring mate. the pot, mate. Start, start stirring, stirring the mate. pot. But, um, yeah, look, I think um, we didn't know that as players, actually. But, um, you know, I think that's what Ray does really well around thinking outside the box. I'm not too sure if the other uh, the other clubs had... had um, had ref bosses there or refs that had been in, in the box. But, um, yeah, I guess for us it's been able to, I guess, take those learnings. And like I said, we can't afford to give away 20 penalties in, in 80 minutes of play or else we'll be, um, we won't be winning many games this year. So from the first head out, you're happy with the way these new laws are playing out? Yeah, I think the introduction of the goal line dropout has been really interesting. Um, we've done a lot of work around that and um, we probably still haven't got the gist of it around how we can best use it. And I think, you know, if you're thinking about you've got your team that's um, quite heavy around the line-out more, the line-out drive, um, you know, it can possibly take that away from you. With It's not going to be a five-meter scrum anymore. It's going to be a goal-line dropout, and you're probably that pressure that you usually have around a dominant scrum and trying to get a try or penalty from that, that's going to be gone. So, you know, I think moving forward, you might be thinking that teams might attack off the top um, in the five-meter area or 10 meters out. We did that on a weekend where uh, we went off the top and, and tried to change up a few things, and... Um, I guess, you know, for us, it's, a, it's an evolution and, you know, teams will be able to try and play it a little bit different with, again, with that um, with that line-out dropout and, oh, sorry, the, the goal line dropout, sorry, and being able to try to attack more. So I think for teams that, like us, that like to have a, like to drive a lot, um, they might be taking that away from us. So, And then I think the, the, uh, the captain's challenge will be an interesting one as well. We got, wrong, got it wrong on the weekend and I think the learning for that is that when you do challenge, you better make sure that um, you've got the wording right and have a really good understanding around those rules because um, even though um, Paul Williams on the weekend got it wrong, um, maybe the delivery that Cody did it wasn't right. So um, it's going to be really interesting moving forward. And, you know, it's, I love the initiative and um, you know, probably two laws that I'm going to be looking forward to the first couple of rounds and seeing how teams adapt to that and best the way they use it. I think my frustration with those new laws, especially the um, dropout one, Bruno, is... The traditional way rugby's played around the pick and go and the scrum, you know, it's a game for everyone, it's a game for all body types, um, and, and it's technically 
designing it to go away from that. You know, like the scrum is a big part, and I think it's a part of the game that should be advertised more positively. Uh, it's quite mm. an intricate part that is sometimes, I think, um, you know, given a hard time, that it slows the game down and there's too many resets. And I understand that at times there are too many resets, but a lot of work goes into that part of the game during the week. There's a specific scrum coach in most sides, and there's hours and hours on end that front rowers and, and back fives go into the scrum. And now, um, you know, you pick and go, you pick and go, and then you get held up over the line, you end up 50 metres back. You're actually changing the tactics of the game and taking yeah. away that that art form that we've known. And I believe the traditional lovers of rugby love that style of game. And it's a big part of the Crusaders play for a number of years as your big boys will go to work, you'll love a five metre scrum, you'll love going round the corner, rolling the sleeves up and getting the big boys into the game and going over. And if you don't go over, you'll you know, look to switch back or go to the edge and then go back to them again. Is this a big change for you guys tactically and have you looked at it as something that might change your mindset? I know you talked about going off the top, but does it change your mindset around that area of how you will utilise that ball that five metres out? Because it's a big disadvantage to end up 50 metres back if you get held up doing a pick and go. Yeah, it does. I think the, um, the line-out drive aspect, I think I think most teams will probably stick to that. And, um, you know, I think the success rate, if you do have a good rolling more, um, you know, you're probably going to get a try from that. But I think, you're yeah, coming back to your point, Jip, around, you know, those all-in kind of um, scenarios where you're doing a pick-and-go, um, you know, you could have momentum for five, ten, you know, for five minutes being camped in their ground, camped in their, um, their five-metre line. And then, you know, all that pressure gets taken off where, as a purist, you know, you think, you know, okay, We've gone really, really hard here. We've got a five-minute scrum, and if you have a team that has a dominant scrum, you know, you know there's probably going to be a try or a penalty again that you're going to have more pressure on the team. So um, we have talked about it a little bit, and I think you know most teams would have done that. I think um, it probably just opens up more opportunities to play to play rugby and have more manipulation around how you can get over the line. Um, you know, there might be a little bit more play with the backs, being able to use it a little bit earlier and giving them more of an opportunity to have ball in hand. But um, I think there still is a place definitely to have the you know the pick and go and before working together as an eight, especially when you get into those close areas, but it has opened up thoughts and um, different decisions that we might be wanting to do if we are in that position because, again, you know, as a rugby purist, it's five minute, the five-minute scrum and then, you know, like with us, when you played us, we've had a dominant scrum and then we can use that as a, as a, as a weapon, but you know, that pressure's going to be taken off now if you're held up, and so um, I guess for us, it's been able to, um, to adapt and we've been trying to do that. We've done a few things at trainings and if you would have seen on the weekend, um, close to the line, we actually ended up playing a little bit more. So I guess those kind of different patterns and those different plays, um, you know, it'll probably be at the forefront uh, moving forward. I think as well you saw with the Blues um, against the Chiefs, Tom Robinson scored a great one. They went to that pick and go and it was really aggressive and quick, sharp ball. I still think that pick and go game is there if it's quick, sharp and accurate and it's those vicious cleans and it's that ball up mentality. But I think it will have to, that slow building momentum, pick and go, will have to go. But then also, you know, not to bring back to the Blues, but I thought their balance of attack was is really strong around when it was slow. They went to that crossfield kick that worked really well and scored a couple of tries doing that. How did you feel when you were watching? Obviously, you, you weren't out um, there playing. You obviously played the Chiefs, but watching the, the Blues' balance of attack, they, they got a good reward from their kicking game. Did you feel, obviously, in between the 240s, they had a couple of licks and they put that up and under and they scored points from that. And then those crossfield kicks, they, 
seemed to you know, really gel well. There's a lot of talk about Bodie not being there, but I thought Oteri controlled things really well with Jonathan Ruru and Sam Nock. Yeah, I think it is, mate. I think um, it's been an evolution in their game. And um, if you're thinking around Oatsy, um, you know, he's probably one of the better tens in New Zealand that can, you know, um, execute that kicking game, with, whether it be flat or it's a, or it's a, it's more of a high um, rugby league kind of kick. So, I mean, I think that's a, it's a flow on effect. Well, it's not just Oatsy seeing that space. It's been able to, you know, I saw your wingers were really communicating that space really, really well. And um, I guess for us, when we, even then when we did play the Chiefs, um, it felt that whoever had the ball, um, they ended up scoring points. And so the defences um, were actually under a lot of pressure due to where you look at us, for example. We have a lot of penalties at the breakdown. So then it was a flow-on effect that they had more ball, more momentum. And teams were actually playing a lot more with, with these kind of new rules as well. And I think the kicking game, especially with that goal line dropout, you're going to see a lot more teams kicking into that into that goal line as well. Um, when we played the Highlanders a couple of weeks ago, you had Mitchell Hunt who almost just kicked it. It was 40 metres um, in their attacking zone and he kicked it in the middle of the field to try and then um, suffocate us knowing that we can't put the ball down knowing that you've got to try to kick it out and run it out so um, I think the big thing around when I watch the Blues as well it's their big ball carries the big dominant carries and coming back to your point Jeff those fast accurate um, cleans and breakdown and speed of ball it's going to put teams under pressure so um, always know, or you always know when you're going to play the Blues or a big team um, they go for a ball and their ball carries it's really hard to stop and if you've got that uh, element of kicking like Oatsy, uh, like you alluded with with Oatsy, um, it brings the whole game into into really um, a triple threat. Well, one of the things about what we've got this season is the Crusaders obviously got a very similar squad, don't, don't they? You guys, I think, four different players to what you had last year. And we've got a bunch of other teams that, in the most part, have lost superstars. We talk about, you know, Oatsy or Tere Black. Bowden's gone, you know. Dan Carter's also not there in the wings and behind helping out either. So the Blues have lost a little bit there. And, you know, the Chiefs have lost a little bit with Cruden going. And, you know, there's all of these teams, they might be on paper not quite as strong as they were last year. So which one of these teams do you think is a team that can match the Crusaders considering how their squad it seems, you know, so even to what it was last year? Oh, look, I obviously genuinely do think the Blues because I think it's another year of experience under some guidance of someone like Bodie and Dan in that environment. And now a lot of ownership and, I suppose... Um, I suppose reins and control is given to these guys to step up and fill that void and, and I felt from what I saw on the weekend and I haven't been in um, with the squad at all um, you could see that there's a, there's a genuine expectation on themselves to step up and continue that ball rolling and, and from what you saw from the big guys that haven't had a lot of preseason, you know, like Rico, I just thought he was exceptional. His line speed defensively, his willingness to set up his teammates, his work rate off the ball, when you've got a leader like that delivering uh, in a preseason game with no points on the court, others are going to follow. And, and I think that's the most exciting thing for me. And you've got a guy like Oteri who has that balance of attack. You've got competition at nine between Finlay Christie, Sam Nock and, and Jonathan Ruru, who was exceptional on the weekend in key positions and, and you've got a forward pack that is coached by Tom Coventry that are continuing to want to just roll their sleeves up. You've got a front three that are fighting for positions. I thought both Latiru Tolai and, and Kurt Eklund were exceptional on the weekend. You've got Nepo and Offa fighting out for tight head. You've got two All Blacks fighting out for loose head. You've got um, you know, our skipper and Paddy. You've got Tom Robinson. You've got Dalton Papali'i. You've got Blake Gibson. You've got Hoskins. You've got Akira. You know, you've got selection dilemmas. I'm sold. Do you know, do you know that, that's a depth and selection dilemmas. And so 
what the Crusaders have done so well in the past is when they've had an injury, there's been another guy to step up. Or when they've had their fit full squad, competition has created and that's created an edge at training and that edge has continued on to the game and they've almost had a harder training on the Thursday than the game they've faced on the weekend. And that's the edge that I feel that is creating in that Blues environment at the moment. And I don't want to put pressure on them because I know that they're already creating that pressure themselves, but I genuinely think they're building a hard work ethic, a tough, tough underbelly and a willingness to go above and beyond for their teammate. And you saw that, as I mentioned, in a player in Rico and what he did off the ball and his willingness to set up others on the weekend in a game that didn't have any points on the line. Is that the way you see it, Brent? I am biased. Yeah, yeah I think the Blues, yeah, Jeff has got some great points here, and I think it's just a, um, it's going to be a flow and effect from the learnings that they had last year. And, you know, Leon's been there, and the coaching staff that they have there have been um, have been exceptional. And, you know, you're looking at the results of last year, you know, they'd definitely be one of the teams that you'd be definitely looking out for. But um, I guess the team that I've seen, it's, I think it's recruited pretty well, and um, I think the Highlanders. Um, the Highlanders have done really well in their recruitment with Tony Brown, and I think, you know, obviously Tony Brown being involved again with, Taking uh, on the on the fall has been it's going to be great for them. Bringing back their real Hollander mindset of um, even though he was in the environment last year, I think you know him being able to being able to be the, the head, head coach will be will be massive for them. And um, I guess the, just the players that they've signed, you know, they like for their backline. You know, for Tully Pyre, who was really good for us, he's going to have more growth and he's going to be able to have more opportunities. I see him like a very similar to Malachi Fikitoa actually, and then you know, Solomon Olemala, who's a great signing with their with their back three, who. They had a lot of um, had a lot of young guys there last year and probably lacked that experience. And you know, Solly has had a lot of time at the Chiefs, and you know, it wasn't too long ago he was knocking on the door for the All Blacks. So you know, he'll get another chance to have a great opportunity in an environment where he'll be playing a lot of footy. And then I think they've just signed some really good key um, experienced players like Josh Connick, who's come back, and Brent Evans as well, who'll really add that experience to that group. And and you know, let's talk about Liam Squire, who we know who New Zealand rugby, who's you know, is a, is a more of a talisman for them who sets the who sets the tone physically and um, you know just brings more depth into that loose four trio who who are, who are going to be um, fantastic with his with his, with his addition and then you know you've got obviously Dylan Hunt that left but you know like Billy Harmon Billy Harmon's gone down there as well who's again seeking an opportunity and um, you know he's gone down to a fresh environment and he's with us for the last three years and he's a guy that's um, you know can definitely play super rugby level so. I just look at the Highlanders and, yes, they're probably um, not to the extent of where the Blues are and the depth that they have, but I think the acquisitions that they've made during that off-season and then um, one guy that I've also had a look around is, is Fakatava and his involvement that he's going to have off the, off the bench. And, you know, he'll keep Nuggy, he'll keep Nuggy honest, but, you know, you look at how he played during the Monty Cup and his, his game management and how he, how much he grew in the last in the last 12 months, you know. So he'll be massive for them coming off the bench. And um, personally, I know um, how hard it is to defend him um, you know, when he's starting, but coming off the bench when, when players are tired, and he's one guy that I'm definitely going to be looking forward to seeing uh, for the Highlanders this year. Who rounds out that loose forward trio? There's so many to choose oh. from. Is it Squire at eight, Frizzell at six, Lechie's a Harmon at seven, and Mikaeli Tu coming off the bench? Is that oh, how it looks? If you watched the game the other day, I think Mikaeli Tu has to start. Yeah. The, the way he played, the way he carried, I think he's in the eight jersey, and I think Frizzell's at six, and... and I mean, Lynchy's coming back from a pretty tough injury, was pretty impressive, scored a couple of tries, but I think Harmon has gone down there and he's probably got the inside running at the moment just because of that, um, you know, the injury that Jimmy Lynchy's is coming back. But he's a tough customer and really well liked in that environment. So I think that's going to be a hard fought battle, that seven jersey. But Harmon might get the nod going against his old uh, team this weekend because it's always a 
big occasion and you want to give that you know battle to, to to Billy and I just think you know we haven't seen Liam Squire play uh, pre-season so he's obviously still got a bit of a niggle and honestly Marino the other day his carries and, and his his contacts and his collision work was exceptional and he he looks like he's going another gear which is quite frightening because what he delivered last year in Super Rugby and then what he did for Hawks Bay and now he, mm. what he's delivered in preseason, he just he he's a serious beast and and, and sort of you know I know he's he was a rookie last year, but he's just going under the radar. Another loose forward, just to chuck in the mix for you know in that All Blacks sort of selection. He's he's been spoken about, but if he can back it up again, he he's just he's a hell of a hell of a worker, uh, in, in that Highlanders environment. And I, I must agree with Brent on on the Highlanders and their recruitment and led by Ash Dixon, who we know is exceptional in that, that pack. But they've got the, the, the makings of a, of a great, hard-working team. You know, Josh Iwani's there, you've got Mitch Hunt. And based on their tactics, you know, Bryn talked about Tony Brown. They're the only team that I've actually noticed around that kicking strategy. You, you mentioned against you guys, Bryn, about trying to get those dropouts from around that halfway. They, they purposely kick, and then they really yeah. chase hard to try and force the dropouts. They did it again against the Hurricanes the other day, purposely tactically doing it. And then they really don't want to kick dropouts because Garden Bashup put one against um, the Highlanders and, and Jonah Noriki was very relaxed, <laughs> just dawdling back. And then he, he felt Garden Bashup coming and then he did a little sidestep and ran out and eventually kicked it out and did a lovely kick about 50 metres and got it out. But he wasn't prepared to put it down and do the dropout. So they've got a clear tactic that they obviously don't want to do the dropout, but they really want to receive it because... When they did receive it, Alain Marlow made great metres up the back, and I thought he looked great at fullback. I thought they might Agreed. play him at, at, at wing, um, but he, he, he looked really good at fullback, um, Alain Marlow. So it looked for him. I, I thought Connor Garden Bashup was pushing hard for a 15 start the way he's performed in preseason out of nowhere. Uh, but I think Alain Malu with his performance against the Canes the other day, will, will probably wear the 15. Let's look at that lack of goal line dropout. What's the thinking there? Is it that they don't, the opposition doesn't get a chance to get a structure together in order to return the kick? Or, you know, is that the idea behind not taking it? I'm not too sure. Maybe it's just they feel like it's a great position to attack from because they clearly want to receive one and, and the, they really don't want to give that line a ball. There are bodies in front of the ball, so you can get those escort lines which can create holes for the attackers to run into. As we saw, like I said, the Alo Malo example is they got bodies in between and he swerves in between and makes 30 or 40 metres and then they're on the back foot. And the Highlanders actually eventually um, scored from, I think they got a penalty, went to the corner and, and Lynch scored one of his tries. Um, so I think it's around that mindset and, and that's their tactic, so they don't want to get caught on the other side of that. Bryn, would you agree? Just a follow-up yeah. follow um, from that, actually. It's around, like again, like if you, get your, if you get your kick right, so if I take the example, I'll put it into context. So if there's a, if there's a strum on halfway, obviously you're still in that kind of 50-50 zone of territory where you want to try and win, win the territory battle. So Mitch Hunt, for example, put the kick in behind. And look, if you can get your chases right and you're off, you're just off a little bit where your backfield isn't right, the difference between you know um, chasing that ball really, really well and then making them try kick it out, that's an opportunity where also you can try and go into your line-out drives. You can start going into your specials around those kind of areas. So if you do get it right, then you can, you can almost have like an attacking line-out where you can have all your specials. You can have, you know, if a team has a really good rolling ball, and you can start getting on the rolling more. If you have a little bunch of plays where you put specials around the front or around the back of the transition, you put into that situation straight away. So, um, yeah, that's probably an example where I think why you might possibly do that. 
Um, but again, I think we see a flow-on effect of the season of how teams can try and um, can try and execute and try and make an attacking weapon kicking into the into the goal line. Would you be surprised to see a tactic like that in the preseason? I mean, is that showing a card, Brent, fairly early on? Um, I don't think so. I think you've almost just got to try and you've got to try it out. The preseason, because it's, it's a new law, and you know you haven't really, we've never had this kind of law before. So you want to try and do it, I guess, preseason with a bit of time to say, oh, you know what, actually. Yeah, that did work, or oh, you know what? Actually, that didn't work. We probably should have held on to the ball. So, I think it's it's it's, it's good to do it at this time. Um, I don't think you want to show everything. You know, you could have attacking kicks inside the twenty-two. Like I think um, the Highlanders when they played us, they did it right off the right off the source. So maybe some teams have shown a little bit more, but um, I don't think I don't think it is. Oh, yeah, and, I don't think it is. And whether and whether you know it's coming or not, if you execute it right. Mm. It's Great. going to it's going to come off. Uh, if we use yeah. uh, the Chiefs for example, I think Brad Weber went down the blind side against the Blues on the weekend. He did a kick and it went too far. Mark Talaya just let let it go, but it only just went too far, and and, and Webby nearly got it back. So it's that execution and that that pinpoint accuracy of the kick. And Mitch Hunt seems to have it on a string because he does manage to just get it almost that halfway point where. You want to let it go, but then it just stops and it puts you under pressure to either put it down or they want to try and run it out. And, and just to further Bryn's point, and maybe a tactic the Crusaders might try, if you are, if you know Nariki doesn't want to put it down, it might force a skill set error where he's trying to run it out of his, his goal line. And if they get a good chase and he puts a bad pass in, you know, it, it then tactically they're doing something that they don't want to do or then they do put it down and then they, they've got a drop out where, when then they know that that's not something they want to do. So it's all those sorts of chess match sort of mind games that you can play and, and you can come in your own head as, a, as, say, the Crusaders on the weekend. They know it's a small win straight away. If they get a drop out, they know it's a small win. And even if it's not a tactic of the Highlanders, they've already created it in their own head as from what they've seen in the preseason. That's a small win and, and, it, and it just builds you up and then you can build from that momentum from there. There's going to be some interesting tactics this year in the selections too, not just in the, the way that they handle the new rules. What do the Chiefs do with Damien McKenzie? He's played at 10 in the preseason. Um, we obviously know him as a 15 over the last couple of seasons after maybe the trial of having it at 10 was kind of thrown away. Do they put him there? Do they go, you know, with somebody else um, at, at, at 10? What I, I, I think Damien looks really good at fullback. He's a great yeah. fullback. He injects himself in the game. He likes to move around. When he was at first five on the weekend, he was roaming around and, and didn't really, I suppose, give that clear, um, I suppose, platform. And I think where the Chiefs are at, I thought they were really good against the Crusaders. They had heaps of opportunities in the 22 and their line-out just faltered and they couldn't quite get reward for that amount of territory and possession pressure. They went to the corner a lot and there was overthrows and the Crusaders got out of, got out of trouble. Um, so I think Bryn Gatlin is, is a perfect fit for them. He'll put the ball in front of his forwards. He will you know, have good structure. He'll have good direction, great voice. And then having someone like Damian McKenzie injecting himself from the back, picking and choosing when he comes to first receiver, is, is a good fit, from my opinion, for the Chiefs and where they want to go. And, and from what I saw on the weekend, their forwards are, are well drilled. A couple of line-out issues, but easy fixes. They, they definitely look like they'll be a force as well. And, and, you know, Sam Kane was just, like, if no rust. Just, <laughs> he was into his work, man. He was just, he was just banging bodies. He was just into it. And, you know, he, he spoke to... 
the crew afterwards and he was just like, oh, this is better than banging each other. You know, they were just happy to be there. You know, after not having the, uh, the footy fest up at Eden Park, Crusaders were awesome and, and coming up and, and to Cambridge and obviously Blues going down and the, the Chiefs joining in, which I thought was a great spectacle, the, the, the game of three halves and the way he played, uh, led by example. And, and I just think for them, they've recruited Bryn, I just would love to see Bryn uh, Gatlin get a real fair crack at 10 in, in, in a Super Rugby franchise. Was I ever going to get a different answer from two Harbour guys? If I was to say Caleb uh, Trask? Or no, what would if, say? If, if, you watch the, if you watch the first 40 against the Crusaders, it is a, it's yeah. a well-organised yeah. Chiefs outfit. And they had opportunities, did they not, Bryn? They, 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 apart from the line-out errors, they, they did provide a lot of opportunities and due to I suppose a few penalties and they would they play that territory game but even exiting they chanced their arm in the exit I think uh, Tupo Vai went down the edge and he gave that nice offload to Shooter and if Shooter had gone back on the outside there were a couple of nice plays I thought the Chiefs the Chiefs executed really well against you guys yeah I thought they were good they yeah, like you said Joe Baker they gave us a lot of a lot of problems um with ball on hand you know they um got over the, the advantage line really really well and um, it's the unseen stuff that, that probably people don't understand and don't see that that makes a really good ten. It's, it's given your forwards or your players around your confidence around the game plan of what you're trying to do. And so the, the points that you're bringing up around it looks like it looks like a well-oiled machine. It looks normal. It looks like what it, what it should look like. And that's what that's what Brent does really really well. He's got a great game management here. He's great game management around seeing stuff. Um, it's kicking games, sticking to none around um, the space that he sees and behind to put teams um, under pressure. He's got a beautiful skill set when it comes to his um, when to his putting players into space as well. So, and I think with Damo at fifteen as well, you know he gets to roam and he's so dangerous. I know when we play him at fifteen, we you know you're, you're almost in high alert every single time he has the ball because he just has the ability to play off the pivot. He can play in and around. He can drink. He can drive. He can go across across the field and and be more instinctive. But um, I do want to say one thing around Damien though. You know, if you're thinking around at the next level, and with Bodie Barrett not being um, not being here and Richie being the only uh, you know, incumbent 10 in New Zealand, we would be another place that Damon would be pretty safe to, have, to actually play. Because if you look about the outside backs with um, Geordie Barrett, you know, Will Jordan is there now. And there's a really opportunity for a number 10 in New Zealand rugby as well. You know, so with Bodie going there, Richie's the only real 10 that's probably proven in the, in the country. So, you know, maybe Damien's thinking, you know, oh, if I play 10 and I play well there, then, you know, I opens up the possibility of playing 10 and 15 and you know, I've got to be selected in the All Blacks as a 10 and a 15, not just captain. It does open up a huge hole there, doesn't it? Especially on the bench, with to have that versatility like that when there isn't any other completely obvious candidate. I mean, Josh, you are, well, he's been in and out, but... You know, he's not been in that squad permanently. No, he hasn't. But I think Josh Shivani was really coming of age. Like he was, we were comparing him on the show to you know Richie in some of his games against Crusaders um, in Christchurch last year. Some of his flat ball running to the line, his skill set. He's definitely got a big season ahead of him because I think Mitch Hunt is a genuine ten as well. So it's finding a balance between those two down at the Highlanders. But Damien, why not play the role that he would play then? and come and slip into 10 late for the Chiefs. Start Bryn, and then if Bryn comes off um, at 60 and, and Damien comes from fullback to, to first five and, and play that role and say, OK, this is the role I could play for you in, in the All Blacks. Or I just think Bryn would be is just a great settled 10 and will just provide a great platform for the Chiefs to just work off and, and build on. And then the, he'll earn the right for the Chiefs to play the Damien McKenzie style late in the game when there's tiring bodies. 
and and that's what he's done so well for Harbour over the years. I know it's a different level, but he he. If he gets given a crack, I'm telling you, he will be exceptional for, for the Chiefs at 10. Time in the saddle is what he's lacked, really, isn't it, at Super Rugby level? He's never really been given consistent games. Well, it's the same thing that was said about him before he came to Harbour, is, is Waikato, he, he couldn't get time in the saddle, and, and he finally got time in the saddle. And, and it didn't all come at once, but when it did, and he, and he got that belief and trust in his game at that level... You know, he took us to a championship, and I, I believe it'll be the same. He's, he's a confident kid, and, he, and he, will, he will have success if he's, if he's given that role. And I think it's a good mix. If, if you've got Damien, like, like Bryn says, like, as a defender, Damien at 10 is not as, as nerve-wracking as Damien at 15. Like, when he's got time and space to come from that depth... Someone like me, when I was defending him, you know, like that, that's he, he's got that much time and space in front of you. It's it's not easy. Yeah, not yeah. that it's easy when he's at ten either, but <laughs> it's a lot harder when he's coming from fifteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you call that a mismatch? Yeah, it's a mismatch either way, but it's one's a lot easier than the other. <laughs> uh, speaking about the halves, and also speaking about time in the saddle. Well, let's go to you, on Bryn. This is your area of expertise. The Hurricanes have got a halfback situation without TJ Pedernada there. Uh, we've got Jonathan Tamatene, Luke Campbell, and Cam Roygaard, all guys with very little. Super Rugby starting experience, vying for that number nine jersey inside Jackson Garden Basham. Where do you go and why? Yeah, it's a real, it's a real tough one. Um, you know, they're all um, not you know pretty inexperienced when it comes to Super Rugby, but um, they all they all offer different things. Um, and predominantly, I'm going to talk around Luke Campbell and um, Jonathan Tomatini, with the two guys that have had the most time in, in the preseason to to have a shot. Um, that starting spot, but you know, Jonathan's probably been in the Hurricanes environment. He's been in, he's been in there, so he's got more of an understanding. And I think he started, he started the first game, so I think he's probably got the inside running with just being in the environment and having an understanding of what it is like. But you know, I was really impressed with Luke Campbell, and the thing with Luke Campbell, he's actually played a trade for for a long time. He's not a, he's not your normal Super Rugby rookie who's twenty twenty one. You know, he's a little bit older, and he's really had to ply his trade to, to get an opportunity. So. I think the maturity-wise, he'll actually be okay, seeing the, the fact that he's actually played a lot of Mighty 10 Cup, been in a lot of, um, had a few years to understand the role of what it was to be nine. Same with Jonathan as well. He's played a lot with counties and actually has been has been played a lot. So it just depends where they want to go. Do you want to go with Jonathan, who's a very instinctively running a running threat and uh, there's a great pass? That's probably his, his strength, his running game and his instinctiveness. And then... Luke Campbell's got a really good ability to have really good core roles. You know, I look at his time when he played against us in that semi-final, uh, not semi-final, um, the last game of round robin when we played Bay Plenty of North Harbour. You know, his execution of his box kick was really good in his, in his long kicking game, and he's also a goal kicker as well. So um, he's probably more in, yeah, kind of core roles, will do what you want, really solid and really safe. Um, so there's two different types of halfbacks. It's whether which way they want to go. But I think the important thing for those boys' developments going forward is that um, you know with the injury of Simon Hickey, Jackson Garden Bishop and his and his connection with that nine and the twelve with Nani as well is going to be massive for their development because um, as a nine, you know it's really important that you need to have those clear comms and understandings from your ten, your twelve, and even your wingers and your fullback as well that you're all on the same page and all you have to worry about is your own role of passing, seeing if there's running space. And then next thing you're kicking, you're kicking as well. You're on board with that. Where, where do you think oh, that goes? From what I saw the other day, Jonathan Tomantini looks lean. He looks fit. He looks like he's turned up, hungry, and he wants the wants the job. 
And I think due to his experience and time in the squad and his relationship is the key part there, is what Bryn said, his connection with those players. He's probably got the inside running and, and due to the fact that he just, he, he looked crisp. He, he really looked good the other day in the time he had out there and he, and he looked like he had a good connection with the group. Uh, not only those key players in 10, 12 and, and the, the blindside wingers, uh, but the forwards. He connected well, good crisp passing, good decision making, when to run, when not to. Uh, Luke Campbell, I think his time will come and, and he'll get opportunities and if he performs, I think it's so close that if one player doesn't perform and the other does off the bench, then you know you could see some um, chopping and changing. But I think they'll like to keep it as settled and as as possible and and keep the the nine ten you know solid uh, for as many games as possible. Because with Super Rugby Aotearoa, if you if you're chopping and changing, is quite a quick window. And if you if you are chopping and changing and not getting it right and not getting the results, it can the season can slip away from you. Uh, but I would like to you know mentioned Cam Roygaard because from what I saw when he got his opportunity for counties he was pretty pretty good and he's a, he's a live wire he's he's a little bit of a wild card I'd say like of the Xavier Rowe mold he, he's he's around that ruck and he'll snipe and he'll have a go he'll back himself he's, he's got a good passing game but he, he really will um, have a crack in and around that ruck and and um, I know Mita tens a, a, a level down and, and it's a step up but He'll be growing in confidence every day that he's at training and, and just watch out for him. If he's impressing at training, he might get a lick at some stage and coming off the bench or uh, getting an opportunity here or there. He's, he's someone that could be a wild card for the Hurricanes at some stage. Now you mentioned Xavier Rowe. This is a chance for us to bring in your little baby um, for this week. Oh. The Hype 15. Now, oh, the Hype 15. Can you explain the Hype 15 for the people? Well, actually, I wanted to do like a... Uh, a pre-season 15 just based on fitness tests because I wanted to see if a fitness test could relate to a form 15 at the end of the season but the old connections ran dry and I could not get any scores <laughs> um, so I went for a hype 15 so this 15 is based on uh, I suppose articles or um, you know people talking about players in certain positions the most um, so I've gone through uh, a New Zealand team. Um, there's a couple of um, people that are equal, but I've, I've, I've solidified a team, but I'll go through the ones that were close. Okay, now just to close. point out that the point of the Hype 15 is that not always are players as good at the end of the season as people were talking about them at the start. So, yeah, so we'll do a Form 15 at the end of the at year. The end, and then we're going to do a comparison. To of the, the Hype 15. 15, did they live up to the Hype or did they not? OK, we'll start. Get us going. OK, so at 15, we've had three guys in the running and because there's a lot of articles. So one guy came in late with Connor Garden-Bashett, was getting a lot of hype just during the preseason games. Will Jordan obviously was getting heaps around cricket more than rugby, but there's a lot of hype. But uh, Solomon Alomalo, obviously when he signed with the Highlanders, he's taken out the 15 spot. Julian Savier, going back to the Hurricanes, is, is on one wing. Hype not got him in the midfield? No, no, no he's on the wing. He was okay. exceptional the other day, his work off the ball. He was living up to the hype already. Yeah. Uh, Michael Collins has got a lot of uh, attention around his midfield spot after his success with the uh, Otago team. So he's in at 13. Uh, which works out really well because um, the, the, the centre uh, pyre who you mentioned got a uh, little niggle, so Michael Collins might slip into the 13 jersey Friday night, which is good. We've got Nani Lamape at 12 because he spoke about you know finding that balance of his game and you know linking and kicking, and so there's been a bit of talk around that. It was quite hard 12, 
really hard to find anyone at 12, so I've gone with uh, Laomape. Uh, number 11, it was a, it was a toss-up. Uh, Jonah Nareki, who was obviously performing really well in the preseason, there wasn't a lot of hype. I was creating a lot of hype because he just seemed to be stepping everyone. But Caleb Clark's taken out the number 11 just because, you know, there's a lot of hype around oh. him. Just backing it up. There's a lot of hype. There's a lot of hype. So Caleb Clark's gone to 11. Yeah, Carl, you disagree? Oh. What's the story? Who should be at 11? Who should be at 11? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. No, there's no hype. I haven't heard his name. The Chronicle doesn't count, mate. You can, you, you've had your opportunity to make your team. Um, Bryn Gatlin at 10. There's, there's, there's no other. There's a lot of talk about him, obviously, uh, moving to the Most Chiefs. Most of the hype has happened in the last 15 minutes. Yeah, well, it is my team. Um, now, the nine was so hard. Um, I've got Sam Nock in there just because I wanted a Blues player. That's my own hype. Uh, Xavier Rowe was another one that came, but I've had Surely to go... Xavier Rowe. Has it no. been more hype about a halfback since Aaron Smith than Falau Xavier Fakatava took it because Falau, Dwayne, yeah. Dwayne Monkley... There's been a lot of comparisons to Aaron Smith and I just think there's more hype around him and potentially will get more game time so he's got more opportunity to live up to it. But Bryn Hall didn't make this team. Well, he's just... He's nearly played 100 games. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he's, he's had his hype moments. Is there anything more hype than being rested in the preseason? Like, we're saving That's this That's a lack of hype. Time. That's a lack of hype. <laughs> um, I don't even play. Yeah, there's, 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 that's a lack of hype. Uh, the new skip... For the Hurricanes at number eight, Artie Savia, and he is captain of the Hype 15. Uh, number seven, really hard. Like, there's just been no talk because the All Black captain's seven, I feel. Yep. So I've gone with Lachlan Beauchere because he got left out of the All Blacks and there's always that talk about why is he not yep. in there. So he probably won't play at seven, he might play at six, I don't know, but he's got an opportunity, he's in the Hype 15. Uh, Liam Squire, again, there's a lot of hype around him. I don't know if he's going to play, but there's a lot of articles. This is just based on articles and uh, hype, so bear with me. Uh, Quinton Strange re-signing to 2023. Just made the All Blacks, got injured, pulled out, you know, so a lot of hype around Quinton Strange stepping up for the Crusaders. Tupo Vite, uh, obviously a lot of hype around him. Uh, sort of the unknown last year, now the known. Mm. Big talking point, obviously the Chiefs line out, stepping up there. Uh Tight head proper hard one. There's the, uh, Fletcher Newell from uh, the Crusaders. There was a big hype around him squatting about 
290 kilos or something and breaking Iron Frank's record or something. But I've gone with Nepo Laulala because <laughs> he's got more hype around him because he's moved to the Blues. Uh, no other gets more hype than this man in the hooking jersey is Kurt Eklund. He's got a lot of hype. Uh, and number one, another Crusader, George Bauer. Got into the All Blacks and there's a bit of hype around him living up to that. He obviously didn't play for them, but he's in and around that. And that's the New Zealand height 15. Right. Uh, any, do, you, do you like that team? You just want to move uh, Caleb Clark. I take it out of that there, Brunner. That's probably the only one, mate. That's probably the only one. Yeah, I think, yeah. The fact that, yeah. I just didn't get any up. articles on him. There's just so many, like, video clips over Caleb and, you know, there's a lot of hype about him, you know? Yeah. A lot yeah. of videos yeah, still about him. Because you're such a co-head, Jip, you know? Yeah. You, you know, you're a lot of rugby... The last two games that Leicester's played, he's just been unbelievable, bumping people off. Very similar to Carly Caleb Clark, actually. Very I know, similar. but that, that was my problem, is I, if I'd picked the team on form, it would be a different team. But I was having to pick it on articles like, I wanted Jonah Nariki in there, to be honest, the way he's played in pre-season. But I couldn't put him, because that's my own hype. <laughs> I'm just picking it on hype. <laughs> it worked for Brent Gatland. <laughs> you could have spent the first. Well, tell, tell me another ten. Tell me another ten with more hype. Because <laughs> you know, all the others are settled. Uh, yeah, this is true. This is very, very true. So when you have a hype fifteen, I suppose we need to start talking about if any of them are going to be making the All Blacks in their first year out. You know, do uh, do we see any bolters bring this year? You know, we've had a few through the last few seasons who kind of come out of nowhere, really, and then next thing you know, they're in the All Blacks. Uh, who's the bolter this year? I found this really, really hard. Like, I had a look at the squads and, um, you know, obviously looking at pre-season, but I wouldn't say he's a, a rookie, but I'd say Kurt Eklund would be a bolter for me. Um, obviously, with Big with big Jip uh, moving aside and, and not being there anymore, he's going to get a lot more game time in that hooking position. Obviously, Latutu Tola is there as well and Ray Nui is there as well. But, yeah, I think for a guy that's probably going to play a, a lot of rugby and, um, and probably in a position where... Yeah, there could be an opportunity for someone that they might want to bring in. Obviously, Asafwa Moore is there, and Liam Coltman's been there in and, and around there as well. Obviously, Dane Coles and Ricardo uh, Sala are settled there. But, you know, Kurt Irkman played really well last year, and, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing how he goes moving forward with obviously Jip not being there. And, again, he was... Are you saying that James uh, Parsons was keeping him out of the All Blacks? Is that what you're saying? Mate, the fact that he's picked a Blues player just makes me so happy. And a hooker nonetheless. (laughs) The fact that he was New Zealand Māori last year and he played for the... He was was selected in the North versus South. So, um, yeah, Kurt Eklund would probably be... And and Buff's a Powerade with the best of them. Oh, yeah. And a buffalo, <laughs> nonetheless. Um, well, Curdy uh, would have to go close. Um, I did like Brodie McAllister on the weekend. I thought he went well as well. And uh, the, most, the thing I liked most about him is when he scored his maul try, no celebration. He went straight up to the front and patted all the others on the back and s- sprinted back to halfway. I was like, oh, how good is that? <laughs> yes. He's, he's, he's a man after my own heart. Uh, who, who, for me, I think uh, two areas that we've sort of touched on is probably nine and ten, with obviously Bodie and, and TJ and that are around, and uh, obviously not not a rookie as such, but me old mate over here. I'm going to just give him a bit of a pump-up. Yeah. Because he's been knocking on the door for a while, and there's a real nine spot open, I reckon. And there's a couple of young boys here, you know, Obviously, Falau Fakatava, but four titles, been knocking on the door, 
So I'm going to say Brynhall's my bolter to get into the ABs and get that test cap, <laughs> that illustrious test cap to add to the tattoo-a-thorn yeah, on yeah. the bicep. Fill up the other bicep. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. No, Why not, though? Give us the not? word. Have there been phone calls? Have you been given... Uh... Oh, there'll never be phone calls. They'll keep it so under wraps. No, nah, mate, no phone calls, mate. No phone calls. Keep chipping away and, and see what happens. Yeah, but what, how many titles do you need? Five, yeah. six? <laughs> Let's hope, hope not five. Blues can have this year. <laughs> there is room on the bicep still, isn't there? We'll go on the other one. With all that said, we've got a couple of games this weekend. Oh, we yeah, Sky Super Rugby. Uh, now, there's a Sky tipping comp going on, so everyone can get along to the Sky website. Please go along there and get into the Sky tipping competition and put your uh, name in the hat. Tip the teams who are going to win, and at the end of the year, you could win a prize. So please get involved in that. Jipper, uh, let's start with the Landers Crusaders. Where do you see that going? Landers 13 plus. Yeah. <laughs> just joking, just joking. <laughs> no, nah. he's not going to win the comp. No, no, no. Look, I, I think the Landers are looking really good. I think it'll be tight underneath the roof in the style of play, but I think the Crusaders will have a little bit of edge around them, just around their, I suppose, their discipline. And, and um, even though it was pre-season, they won't take any loss kindly, uh, especially to the Blues. <laughs> um, so I think that they'll they'll be a lot sharper. Uh, this week and, and, a, and a lot more on the job around that. I think their strengths are still there. The line out more, round the corner. Every time they went to the 22 with 30% of the ball, they still scored three tries. So their ability to uh, score points when they have the opportunity is there. So every time they went down there, they got points. They defended really well, you know, 70% of possession and a lot of territory. They defended really well to hold in for four tries against the Blues. Um, they still beat the Chiefs, and the Chiefs had a lot of ball in the 22. Uh, so they've still got that set-piece strength in defence. So I think that'll hold them in good stead against the against the Highlanders and uh, get the job done. The short... Uh, 1 to 12. 1 to 12. Yeah. 1 to 12. Um, yeah. Away from home, 1 to 12 in Super Rugby Aotearoa is actually a bold pick. Because um, yeah. often it is a home side one to twelve, probably more often than not. I just I, I think there will be points scored, but I think it'll be I think both sides because the Highlanders can score points. They've also got a really good driving wall, as we saw. But both sides have played each other in the preseason, and the, the Highlanders got off to a hot start. Obviously, different uh, kettle of fish when you bring out both big guns. Um, but I think it'll it'll be a, a tough forty, and I think uh, the old the beauty of First round, uh, we'll get the better of a few players, and I think the balance of using the bench, the coaches who uh, utilise their bench early and, and bring on the fresh legs to bring uh, the team home, and, and, and I suppose win that, I suppose that 40 to 60, um, and, and, and get that sort of that edge there, and, and have the ability to push home in that last 20. Now I'm going to go out on the limb and say that you're picking the Crusaders. I can't go against my own team tonight. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, if there was, the uh, match fixers would be wondering what was going on. No, oh, that's it. That's it. Nah, yeah. I'll say that. OK, great. Well, why don't you start us off on the other game then? It's the Blues. Blues Hurricanes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, oh, look. Yeah, I'm probably going to go... Where's it being played, Jim? Wellington. Ooh. 
I'm going to go Blues twelve and, uh, one to twelve. I think uh, that's a, it's a fair pick. I think it's Artie's hundredth yeah, too. Yeah. I, I, I want to say I want to say thirteen. I want to say thirteen plus, but I think the fact that it's round one, um, Hurricanes. You know, they're proud. They're a proud club. I love playing at home. It's difficult to play at Wellington, as you know. Um, they're always tough. Doesn't matter. But I just think the Blues will, yeah, will be in that kind of margin of one to twelve. They'll pull away. They'll pull away in the last twenty. That Blues pack on paper. The depth of it is outrageous. And when you look at the Canes, it's probably, you know, situation normal for the Canes where the pack is, you know, doesn't have the same profile that the backs have. There's a couple of guys in there. But if you look at the setup that the Blues have got, I would have thought that it's, it is difficult to go past the Blues for this. For, for me, I would say 1-12 to 12 away from home. Oh, I agree. I think the Blues will get the job done, but I think it'll be a lot harder than uh, most expected. It is a tough place to go and play Wellington, and I think... From what I saw um, in the first stanza of, of the Hurricanes, forward pack really stood up, and I think their lineout was exceptional. Asafa Moore threw really well. Scott Scrafton was running the lineout really well. Uh, Duplicy Karifi was exceptional over the ball, so um, the Blues forwards will need to be in early, uh, making sure they get those cleans um, and, and providing that front football that Oteri and Co got the other day so that they can get that ball in front of them and, and get that balance of attack that they had. If they get that right, um, they don't overwork themselves. Um, I think they've got the recipe for success to get the job done. If the Chatters, the Crusaders and the Blues is the favourites, if they can both get wins away from home, that's the thing that's going to solidify that as probably a good call, right? Well, this is a game that uh, slipped us up, as in the Blues, last year as we went down to play the Hurricanes and, and lost uh, a game that we should have probably won and then it gave uh, the, the Crusaders clear air to, to, you know, round out. I know we didn't get that last round fixture, but it sort of gave them the breathing room to get the result and, and win Super Rugby Aotearoa. So it, it, these are the crucial games. If you can get these away wins and, and your other teams don't, then you just start creeping up that ladder and you know you need your home wins. Obviously, that's your bread and butter. But if you can get these away wins and you keep getting those point tallies up, um, then you know, bonus points are crucial, but away wins are, are gold. You were talking about Crusaders having the referees in the, in the coach's box. <laughs> but they must have COVID in the coach's box too because they don't want to come up to Eden Park. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, it was untimely, wasn't it? It was... If you, yeah, if you want to book a, a Blues Crusaders game in, in um, Auckland, you know, bets are already probably going to get... COVID's going to get an outbreak. Yeah, I know. Maybe we should just move it to Harvard <laughs> Stadium. Yeah, someone tell Billy TK Jr. That's where it's at. Like... <laughs> No, just every time we yeah, we get excited to come up and play, and then yeah, obviously Auntie Cindy hits us with the uh, with the with the lockdown. <laughs> level, level three, level, level three. <laughs> Terrible timing, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, so we've got a consensus. It's Crusaders and Blues away. Yeah, well, it doesn't go well for the tipping comp because it means we're all in agreement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, mind you, we get to pick the tries. How many tries? That's so that right. Could that I think could that's be more the, of a tiebreaker thing, though. Yeah, when beauty. It comes down to it. So yeah, that, that could work in this. That could work. I won't be telling you that then. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. There's other rugby going on outside of uh, Super Rugby Aotearoa. Oh, the Aussies are underway. It is. And I tell you what, the Reds looked sharp against the Waratahs. They did. They did. It, it was there. It was there. They had um, a hot start. They got off to twenty-four-seven, but it was their short ball interplay. Uh, they kept the ball alive and they got them behind the D and, and their ability to keep the ball alive. In conditions in Brisbane, as you know, Bryn, it's so hot and it's like it's like soaked that ball and they were just throwing it around at will and got off to such a hot start that it it was sort of... You could have pegged it back because the Waratah scored first 
and um, you know it was all on and then they just scored 24 points like that and then once they got the red card it was always going to be hard but the Waratahs had plenty of opportunity but it was the skill set let them down like the red scramble D was good but it wasn't like outstanding it was the last pass Waratahs every time it was their last pass and it would go behind them and roll out or they'd knock it on and so they had plenty of opportunity down in the Reds 22 they just couldn't get across the line and it was just sort of the story of their night and then you know 41-7 read pretty poorly but they scored two tries late like it was 27-7 at half time and I think it was 27-7 at 71 minute mark and then they scored a couple of late tries to make it 41-7 so it was sort of a boring sort of stanza in the middle period they were not boring but you know not scoring points but it sort of um, I felt like the Waratahs maybe could have done better with the balance of attack. Um, of they played a lot of rugby in between the middle of the field and probably could have pinned the corners a little bit more in those conditions in Brisbane. Um, but um, you know, in saying that, they were they were chasing the game and they're trying to score points after a hot start. It was pretty hard. But the Reds certainly looked good and they were that typical Brad Thorne mindset at defensive breakdowns. Like they were throwing numbers in, man. Like they were just they were hoeing in. And it was almost like, uh, you know, risk versus reward because if, if they didn't get the result of that breakdown, if they didn't slow the ball down and, and the Waratahs did get the ball out, they would have been down numbers defensively. So they will want to get that balance of um, decision-making at those defensive breakdowns right. That's a massive change from what we saw last year. Maybe not with the Reds, but with everybody else, Brent. Like, we didn't see numbers at the breakdown for a lot of last year. Yeah, we did. I think it was with the new laws as well. And um, obviously that... And- that changed none of it, but I think just going back to the going back to the Reds, I thought, um, you know, we we talked about them a lot last year and the, with, with the Wallabies, and you know, probably um, played some good games, but I think got it got away with them a little bit around the skill set execution and making decisions against the All Blacks. And Felipe Bengun, he was um, he was unbelievable. I think um, you know, at 100 meters, he had six defenders beaten, three clean breaks, and two tries. And I think the the way what I liked around that as well, it wasn't just him, but I think the guys that had played in their Wallaby series and their Tri- Tri-Nation series. You know, you like to make them a Pattaya Pasami, who I thought was fantastic with their ball carrying, even though, um, obviously, Water Pattaya was playing on the wing, who I'd like, probably like to see in, in, in the midfield. And then, you know, we've also got Winnie Valu, who has been suspended and who, who will come back. So, Gips obviously talked around their, their firepower around, you know, Brad Ford having that hard edge at the breakdown and their, and their ball carriers. But, you know, those backs, you know, if they can give them good front football and with all those players that, I, that I've talked about, you know, they're going to be a team that's going to be a really, really exciting, really exciting to watch in uh, the Super Rugby AU. I think, I think the best thing about Dungunu's game is he didn't go hunting for too much work. He stayed on his edge, he stayed in his role, and he just ran his lines committed and the ball just came his way rather than maybe over trying that maybe we saw when he got his Wallabies opportunity, he was trying so hard to do it right well because he wanted to do you know, the jersey justice, that you know, sometimes when you play as a player, like I've done it many a time, when you try so hard, it almost goes from bad to worse. And it looked like he was just much more comfortable in his own skin in that Reds jersey and, and just played with freedom and he looked relaxed. And, and another guy that I think brought a lot of development to his game because we saw a very one-dimensional game in him, in him last year was um, uh, Wilson, Harry Wilson, is his little short balls... So we saw that crash, crash, crash from him last year. Well, he was putting guys in holes because the Waratahs almost expected him. And I like that, I like that additive to his game because now 
teams are going to be like, oh, well, he's not actually just going to run it all the time. He was putting other guys through holes, and then later in the game, he started carrying it, and he would catch guys on, on the back foot, and he, and he brought a real edge. And I don't know if that was you know what he'd picked up in the Wallabies or maybe Brad Thorne and said, okay, you've shown that you can carry 30 times a game. How about you open up opportunities for other people? And it really got in behind the defence and created heaps of opportunities early in the game. So there's a lot of development in these guys that have had the taste of Wallabies jerseys that have come back to Super Rugby AU and going, well, I want to lift my game again, which is exciting for where you know the Bledisloe and, and Rugby Championship can go. And the Trans-Tasman competition. Yeah, it's got your exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So are the Reds... Bryn, do you think a, a real chance if the Trans-Tasman competition goes ahead of, of being up there to take on you guys and, and, and win that thing? Well, first and foremost, we'd obviously love the Trans-Tasman bubble to, to happen. But I think, you know, look, it's only their, their first game. And the best thing about that is that, you know, it's the start of the season. So they're only going to get better. And players like, you know, like you've talked about, Joe, you know, Wilson and the players that I've, that I've talked about, you know, they're only going to get better and they're only going to get more comfortable in, in their skin and, and their environment and the understanding of the game. So, look, it was, it was a great start for them. But as we know, um, with really good teams, yeah, it's been able to go week to week and playing really, really well week to week. You know, you can have those one-off performances where you have a really great game. Like, you know, it all went clicking for them and they played really well. You know, can they back it up again? And can they keep backing it up again? And then, you know, if they have those good foundations in place of playing consistent rugby throughout the whole year, then look, it gives them great opportunities when we, if there is a Trans-Tasman uh, bubble and we get to play those games. They're going to be really uh, competitive, you know, teams that are going to really you know, have to look at them and say, you know, we have to watch out for the Reds. So we've fizzed up about Super Rugby Australia. We've also had something else big happen this week, and that is Dan Carter's retirement. I, I didn't realise that he wasn't retired um, until he said that he was retired. Former Blues legend. Oh, yeah. Dan Carter. One of the uh, greats. Yeah, <laughs> plenty of game time for you guys. What's your your memory of Dan from being in squad with him about the impact that he made on your team? Um, well, I suppose um, just his level of expectation on himself to drive himself, but then what he would demand from others. Uh, more importantly, obviously, recently with the Blues, but he was there for my debut with the All Blacks in, in Scotland as well. and. He just never seems to be someone that would get flustered as well. He just was always had a temperament of, of calm, even in big moments. He just always looked calm and, and relaxed. And I think that showed through in you know his performances in, in the big moments. You know, there's obviously been well documented the Lions in 05, that game, uh, the the second test. But the one that stands out for me, the performance that stands out, is the semi final in South Africa when the game was on the line and, and he snaps that droppy and. I feel like that was the big occasion and, and that was the big game that we needed to win. Um, and then from then on, I know Aussie were in, in great form in the final, but it just felt like that the, the South African test in that semi-final was massive and he just took control at such a crucial moment and, and was such a big factor and, and obviously the reason why he won player of the tournament of, of 2015. It was interesting that year because so many people were talking about Lima Sopawanga and they were talking about other people and it was like, hey, that's Dan Carter, that's the GOAT. He had almost he, been written off, and yeah. then he just delivered, I'd say, some of his best rugby in the black jersey at, in the biggest tournament. And I think that's what he'll be remembered for: is when the going, you know, got tough or it was the biggest stage, he stood up, and he stood up um, and said, "Follow me." And, and that was the sort of bloke he is. And I think he's just a great teammate as well. He, he genuinely cares about the teams he, he represents. Even you know, when he was in for the Blues, he was all in with the Blues, which is you know pretty powerful. Um, and and Cesar. Hell of a lot about him as a person. Yeah, yeah. Did you run into him? You weren't at the Crusaders yet when he had gone. Was there any overlap there? 
Nah, I didn't. I didn't, didn't get an opportunity to play with him, which would have been great. But I think the biggest one of the memories that I had with um, with, these, with Dan was that actually my debut was at was at Eden Park. We actually played against the Crusaders that day. I you playing that game, and I remember we're in the we're in the sheds, and you know, with my debut, I was young, I was like twenty twenty one, and you know, Dan Carter was. And I was seriously asking a couple of the boys, and like, can I go get a picture with this guy because I idolised him when I was at school. So, um, thankfully, the uh, who was that? I think Ali. Williams came up to me and said, mate, you can't do it, mate, you're playing. <laughs> so just hold off and uh, get, get around and just, just say hello to him. So I had a beer with him and yeah, he probably doesn't remember that. But yeah, look, mate, he was, um, you know, I think Jipper hit it right on the head with him being a, a big time player and you know, he always influenced the game and, um, you know, had 100 plus tests for the All Blacks and, you know, he's the only 10 that's done that. And he did that for a reason because he played consistently in the black jersey and, you know, I think it was it was a great way for him to finish his career when in 2015, you know, he had to go through a bit of adversity and resilience. And he obviously had um, a bit of adversity at the 2011 World Cup with injury. But, you know, as a, as a competitor, um, you know, when, you're, when your name isn't being you know, perceived in a, in, a, in a good way. And, you know, like you said, there were guys who were playing well at the time with Lima and you know, Aaron Cruden was there as well, who were um, contesting that 10 jersey. And, you know, that rugby world cup was a was a strong song where he was deserving of the player of the year with how he played against South Africa in that semi final, which, you know, he took it by by the by the scruff of the neck and, you know, got us over the line. And, you know, I think that's the biggest thing that I always respected about Dan and playing against him and seeing him from afar on T V when I was growing up. His ability to be um, to influence in a game and um, and always play big, you know. Didn't play many bad games and I think, you know, that's why he's gonna go down as one of the great all blacks, but not only as an all black, but you know, probably one of the me personally, he's probably the best team that's ever played in, played this game. For me, he's the greatest player he's ever played. Period. Like you hear things about McCaw, etc. But when you look at a rugby player, you look at the entire skill set. I don't think there's ever been a player with the full skill set like Dan Carter. He'd get in and get turnovers at the breakdown. His defence was rock solid. He's a great kicker, awesome runner of the ball, great stat, um, you know, um, tactician. I don't think there's been another player that I've seen in my lifetime who has that entire skill set, the way that he had. Oh, it's hard to argue with. Like, I think it's also his leadership as well. Like, you add in that, it's just, he just is the complete package. And um, I think that's why when, you know, there's not enough things you can say about him, I suppose you can't put into words how great he has been. Um, and I, he probably is the sort of bloke that he, he doesn't want you to. <laughs> um, but, yeah, he's certainly well-respected all over the world, and I think it's shown with, the, you know, everyone's been putting plenty out there on social media just you know thanking him for what he's given to the game but also appreciating what he had done for them as, as individuals in their career and, and you're talking some pretty special players in their own right uh, coming out saying how amazing he is so I think it's a hell of a tip to tip of the cap to, to him as a person and, and a rugby player. Yeah I think I saw Johnny Wilkinson um, tweeting about it yeah you know and I mean he's probably some people's pick as either the best or the second best yeah and to have a guy like that just coming out and giving him props says well, quite a lot yeah absolutely but you know I think we've seen Jerome Kino Israel Dag you know these are guys that have played a lot of test match footy um are amazing footy players and people themselves that are just saying that they've never seen someone calmer in the big moment mm. you know like that's just incredible to to hear that and you know, they've, they've done some amazing, you know, we, let's not forget Jerome lifted Big Bayani off the try line and five <laughs> metres back and he's saying, you know, this about Dan. So it's it's a pretty powerful statement for, for where he's held in, in world rugby. Well, hopefully we've got another one coming up soon. I know your man Bodie's, you know, pretty much <laughs> onto it. Your man Richie's yeah. onto it. But, gee whiz, it's a lot to live up to, isn't it? 
Yeah, and I, and I don't think it's something that you need to live up to. Like, I, I don't. I, I think the, the beauty of someone like Dan is Dan's been Dan, and I think what his advice would be to someone is be yourself, and and be your own unique person, and and don't try and be um, him. Be inspired by him, but be who you are, and and that's that's the beauty of it. There will be another. There'll be another player that comes through. Uh, that's the beauty of New Zealand rugby is we do keep producing. Hopefully well, from Auckland. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was a great Auckland. Hopefully from Auckland and stays in Auckland. <laughs> that's going to be a good year, Jeff. going to be a good year, boy. Good... I need it. Yeah, well, on that note, we're hyped. It is the first weekend of Super Rugby coming up this weekend. So from me, Ross Carl, James Parsons, and down in Titletown, Bryn Hall, Enjoy your rugby. We'll be back with more Aotearoa Rugby Pod next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.